Welcome to Answers May Vary. Each week we listen to your dilemmas and try to come up with workable solutions you can put into place to start improving your teaching life today. I'm Kate Harkins. And I'm Stephanie Handley. And together with you, we're three heads. So Steph, what's our dilemma today? Kate, I was going through my pacing guide and my teacher's guide and there's a lot of stuff I have to cover. And I thought I was just teaching reading and writing. How am I going to fit it all in? (laughs) Oh, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. So today we're going to be talking about all those things that are English adjacent. Things that when you look at them, you're like, oh yeah, that falls into Mm -hmm. what an, an English class would be, what an ELA class would be. But it's either not what you want to spend the majority Mm -hmm. of your time working on, or it's not something you can spend the majority of your time working on. It's something that you need to figure out how to squeeze it in and not make it seem trivial. Right. And, oh, you don't have to do this. But also not make it seem like your entire grade is dependent <laughs> upon this tangentially related. Yeah. <laughs> one, one standard out of 72 or whatever it is. All right. Where do we start? We start by deciding what your most important priority is. Are you a teacher who is just reading for the love of reading? That is your thing. Focusing on novel units, writing. What is it that is important to you that you want your class to be focused on? And then decide how much time you can or want to devote to all those other things. Because I think we would all agree, you probably need to do something with grammar, with vocabulary, literary terms, but most of us think other things are important. And so it's really helpful to think about what is my priority and how much time do I have for the other stuff? Sounds good to me. (laughs) I would also consider what your students need. I think when we first started teaching, there was a lot of just, okay, we have to cover all these things. And we started to realize if you're not an AP English student who wants to be an English major, do you really need to know the difference between synecdoche and metonymy? And (laughs) do you really need to know a participial phrase versus a gerund phrase? Mm -hmm. Or can we simplify some of these things? Or can we introduce the term but not feel like we have to make sure you've mastered it because mastery would take. (laughs) (laughs) I think also it depends on where education is at. When we started working together, it was very much the traditional standards-based curriculum. We were preparing for exams that covered grammar, reading, writing. And so there were a lot of quote unquote traditional English things that we needed to do. But the common core standard Although those things are rolled up into the common core standards, they aren't explicitly called out in the way that they were in previous standards. And so you can, I don't want to say get away with, but in a way you can get away with deprioritizing some of these more traditional English topics. And I guess we can jump into our first one here. If you've ever looked at an English teacher, teacher's guide, pacing guide, the textbook will have you believe you can just pop a grammar lesson in whenever you want. You want to do participial <laughs> phrases today? Great. This unit, you've got active and passive voice in my experience. And if you haven't listened to our first year mistakes, you can hear more <laughs> about that. But I think that this really only works with students who already know grammar and remember grammar, which is not 
most of us or most of our students. I think that the way that grammar textbooks are taught is as though students remember everything from previous years. And okay, they should remember things from previous years, but they don't. Every year you have to reteach the parts of speech and that gets in the way of you teaching, although technically at high school it's reteaching right. <laughs> grammar. And so it's a real headache. We used to teach grammar every day. Yeah. We used to be those teachers because to that be fair, was 15 minutes, not the whole period. No, no. <laughs> because that was yeah. on it was their on the, the exit exam. And yeah. so they needed to know it. But for a lot of students, it was the first time that they yeah. had had consistent grammar instruction. And I think that lots of times teachers get frustrated. Mm-hmm. They are like, I don't want to teach yes. the parts of, parts <laughs> of speech again. And so it tends to get pushed to a sub-day yeah. activity, which is a really difficult way to yeah. teach grammar. And it is frustrating because your your textbook is saying that you should be able to do a, an active passive voice lesson. But if your students can't pick out the subject and the verb, mm-hmm. you're not going to be successful in that lesson. And it can be really frustrating, this mismatch between the reality and what you're seeing you're quote unquote supposed to be doing. Right. So when we were doing Doing our 15 minutes, which was really supposed to be like five to seven minutes, but it was 15 minutes. Takes them five to seven just to find the grammar packet. (laughs) Of grammar every day. We weren't able to use our grammar textbook. We had to go outside and go to, to different resources. The school that we came from was predominantly second language Mm -hmm. learners. And so it was not something that we felt comfortable giving up entirely. Oftentimes because second language learners can really excel in grammar because it's systematic. They tend to do a good job with it. But we realized that explicit instruction Mm -hmm. to the entire class was unproductive. We were not reaching our grade level students. We were not reaching our below grade level students. Our grade level students were hit and miss. And so we started to turn to online Mm -hmm. supplemental programs that would meet the needs of students and adapt to what they were able to do. And to truly differentiate in a way that a teacher in 15 minutes with a textbook can't do. Yeah. So we found Quill to be what we liked best. Some of our colleagues like No Red Ink, I think that there's probably small differences between yes. the two of them. Quill is free. That's always uh-huh. helpful. <laughs> I liked it too because they had to write whole sentences and then really they taught grammar through combining sentences, yes. which was actually a really neat way to learn the grammar and we had them also doing typing practice on alternate days. So it was great to require them to type for that as well. You have hopefully gotten the the gist now that we used grammar as a bell ringer activity. And we have always found that to be helpful. When we did grammar every day, we found it to be helpful. And then we switched to doing it twice a week. And that was helpful to just have it as part of your routine. Mm -hmm. It's also something that, yes, a student may have questions here and there. But in general, when they're doing those online programs, the resources are built in for them. So 
they don't necessarily need a lot of one-on-one instruction yeah. and help. And so you can get some of your just class management, <laughs> management work done during that yeah. time. So the next one, Kate, how on earth do I handle vocabulary? Vocabulary? It's such a struggle. It really is. And I know there are people who like to teach vocabulary as part of what they're reading. There are people who like to teach vocabulary as part of test prep. I'm not as sold on that, but I do see value in it. It's something that everybody has an opinion and we seem to have strong opinions on it. And it doesn't, I don't know that it merits the opinions that people have on it. No, I also think that it's even more than grammar. It's one of the places where we're like stuck in a rut of I have to do this and do I have to do this? I don't know. I've been tutoring. I've watched students do vocabulary as their assignments and a lot of their teachers are using that strategy of choose a word you don't know, yes. look it up, use it in a sentence. And as a teacher, I understand why you do that. It, it requires them to get familiar with new words. But in practice, seeing it from the other side, I mean, I kind of saw this in the classroom, but really now seeing it one-on-one, it really is just an exercise in choosing random words to get the assignment done. Right. And so it really, it feels like we're doing what we've always done just for the sake of doing what we've always done. Right. I think that idea of choose a word you don't know and look it up and write the definition. I think it requires a level of self-discipline and awareness. Intrinsic curiosity. Yeah, that most students don't have. My son, he enjoys reading. He likes words. He likes to know the meanings of words. But when we go through his assignments and he very often has that look up a word Uh and write down the the definition, he is like, I know all the words. Yeah. you for sure don't know all the words because I don't know all the I'm words. I have a tutoring student who would do the same thing and he'd tell me he knew all the words and I'd be like, oh, okay, how about this one? Okay, we could put that one on there. I remember when I did my observations, I sat in on a teacher's class and they were doing word dissection, which is root words, Greek yeah. and Roman, usually Greek, Latin word roots. And I thought, this is torturous. Why would you do uh-huh. this? I like could not get out of that classroom fast <laughs> enough. In fact, I think I skedaddled out of there, realized <laughs> I didn't even say anything to the teacher and had to go back in and be like, thank you so much for allowing me to... <laughs> I really loved your lesson. <laughs> but over the course of the 18 years, so that was probably like 20 years, I really came to see value yeah. in word dissection because it doesn't matter what the word is. Right. You just need to know those word parts and you can piece together meanings of words. For me, I also found it valuable because it included science. Mm-hmm. And it included math. I learned so many medical words exactly, doing that. Exactly, exactly. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I knew the type of cancer I had from, from word, word dissection. dissection. <laughs> I would always tell my students when they were like, why are we doing this? Yeah. I would be like, because you see a word out in the wild and you can figure out what it means. And I don't think they ever grasped that. But I would be like living my life being like, word dissection. Yeah. I know what that word means. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely in terms of science, it really is so helpful. And it's not a circumstance where you have to remember the definition of a word. Right. It's you remember this word part and you practice those word parts 
for all four years. Really, ideally, you're starting it in middle school. Yeah. And really, they function like sight words almost Mm -hmm. in in the lower levels. It's not where you're thinking and struggling to remember a long definition. It's like word part, one word definition. And you go through the flashcards enough times, it really becomes this like association where you can quickly automatically piece those parts together if you're, you know, studying and doing it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also a good opportunity to practice with students that memorization skill and how you memorize things. You mean they don't know how to use a flashcard if you don't show them, Mrs. Harkins? I mean, I don't know how to use a flashcard. Part if you don't show me. <laughs> I think one thing we noticed over the years was that if you can make this something that's more like a game, this past year we're teaching a class that was really comprised of students who were performing at least two grades. Yeah below grade level. And that was the high end. Yes. At least two grades below grade level had experienced very little academic Mm -hmm. success, um, probably ever, possibly since elementary school. And we would make gains Mm -hmm. of it. And students who struggle in all areas of academic life can excel in this memorization. And that's always what I liked about it was anybody can be good at this. Yeah. And they really like, it's it's funny because you would think it's 2022. Are you really going to trick them into learning by making it a game? Yes. Yes, yes you yes, are. You <laughs> now there is a place for more complex vocabulary. And I think that the way we came to really believe was the strongest way to handle that was occasionally if there was a really important word in a text, we would have students look it up, but not to find out what it means because it's 2022. You have Google. Yeah. Most of these like reading programs have an dictionary in them. We would have them look up a word that had three definitions and practice choosing the appropriate one in context. Because especially in AP, they have a tendency to just write down the first definition. And when you're doing poetry and you don't happen to glance down at definition number six, Mm -hmm. sometimes that's really going to mess up your understanding of that poem. (laughs) So I think we found that a really meaningful way to handle vocabulary that wasn't just 10 random SAT words that you've learned, but actually learning to use the tools that are available to you. Okay, on that note, how do we handle literary terms? (laughs) (laughs) Again, this is something that used to be really important. And if your students are going to be transitioning into AP language, AP literature, it's still really important. But for your average student, I don't know how important it is to know all the literary terms. (laughs) There are some some big bang ones. You should definitely know. So I would say streamline your list. The 20 literary terms, if that, I would say you could even get it down to 15. That really to be a good reader to know. If you want to see those words, by the way, check out our blog this week because (laughs) that's what we're posting there. (laughs) Just a little. (laughs) Or at least our opinion on what those... (laughs) (laughs) What those literary terms should be. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure we're going to be coming at it from AP lit perspective. (laughs) But those are things also that in terms of 
of movies terms you see there or um, just as in well. pop culture even or yeah. just like being a savvy consumer of right. the world around you right so it may be depending on your textbook divided our textbook was divided by chapter or by not by chapter everything's by chapter <laughs> each chapter was a different literary term that they right. really focused on and we would do that we would focus on one at a time though of course there'd be some crossover but you want to provide opportunities to practice what we really came to learn in AP and it took us quite a while to really learn this is it's not a good use of time to find them just to find them we really tried to look at the material and say okay is this meaningful to the theme does this help carry the meaning of the work because sometimes it's just hey cool I saw alliteration there were two C's yeah that is cool but it it doesn't carry the meaning of the text and so we really tried to focus then on having them analyze a symbol that was really important or Mm -hmm. a metaphor that was really important and not just label all the characters in every story just because. Just because we can. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So one thing with the three things we've talked about so far, so we've talked about grammar, we've talked about vocabulary, and we've talked about literary terms. Something that we believe rather passionately (laughs) (laughs) and we'll try to convince you of is that this should not be the cornerstone of a grade for your students. Yes, you may be giving a literary terms test or a vocabulary test or grammar on a regular basis. But remember how you're approaching it is that this is not the be all end all of my curriculum, right? A student knowing vocabulary is not what's going to determine their ability to be successful in college. Mm -hmm. It's not going to determine their ability to be successful in their career. So you don't want your grade to be heavily weighted on those types of assessments. Especially if what you're spending your time on, what you're effectively telling colleges your students are competent in is the reading and writing aspect of it. And so we always treated these as side things Mm -hmm. and we made sure that was reflected in the grade book as well. So weight those grades. (laughs) But of course, it's nice to give them a freebie, give them a a little easier Mm -hmm. assignment. But yeah, we saw that if you don't pay attention to that, you can easily end up being like, wow, my whole grade is vocabulary. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely something that we like to do at the end of the semester is take a look at how your grades are reflecting what you value and you prioritize because you may think, oh, that vocabulary quiz that we do every week, that's five points. Okay, but it's 18 (laughs) weeks of five points. (laughs) That's a lot of points. (laughs) And we can just get into our routine and we were guilty of that many times where it was like, wait, okay, wait a second. Wait, how much of the grade is worth? Yeah. Extra credit. That's another one that can. Yeah. That's a conversation for another day. (laughs) One thing I wanted to circle back on on the literary terms. So I talked about how we would focus in on one at a time in AP. It can also be useful definitely in an AP class, sometimes in a standards level class, to do more of an overview lesson first, to do Mm -hmm. a skills-based lesson that is not tied to a text. So you're really just focusing on the term or really even just drop in a definition in the question that you're asking, something Mm -hmm. like that. And then you can focus on a text that has multiple literary devices. Sometimes if you're trying to save time, it can get really tricky to be like, I got to teach the plot story and the character story and the point of view story. And hey, just pick one that you can discuss all three. All those stories have point of view. Yeah. 
so the, those first three, we, we said these are things that seem tangential to English. There are standards about grammar, vocabulary, mm-hmm. literary terms. You really do want to probably include them in some capacity. But what about things like personal statements and senior project where it just wow. feels, I know, <laughs> whatever they call it at your school, exit portfolio, <laughs> where it gets dumped on English teachers because, well, one, it kind of involves writing. And two, every student has English where they might not all have the same science. And so, yeah. of course, we'll handle it in English. There could be a lot of resentment building up on that. But <laughs> also, they can easily suck up all your time yeah. as a teacher, but also all your class time as well. And so I think one thing that you can do is provide some kind of in-class direction or assignment, assess your students' needs. How many of them are applying to four-year schools? How many are applying to private schools? Are you actually benefiting them by providing this information? But then really limit the amount of class time you're willing to spend on it. So it's, of course, yes, do your due diligence, make sure they know how to make a resume or whatever it is. But I think it's important to remember, and we, of course, fell into this trap as well, unless you're teaching a class called Personal Statements 101 (laughs) or Senior Project 101, Mm -hmm. that's not your job. Your job is to teach them English. And I think administrators and counselors can often make you feel like it's your job to take on this big project. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to remember, no, actually, I'm here to teach English. I will provide support, but after school or in a workshop Mm -hmm. or only on these days and to really allow that to be a side project and not just consume your life as a teacher. And it can be hard to have those difficult conversations. I wouldn't suggest you going on your own to your principal and saying, this isn't my job. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you've been teaching for 20 years and you're known as the cranky one, that doesn't usually work well. But if you can get together with your PLC or with everybody Mm -hmm. who teaches the grade level you teach and say, okay, what do we feel comfortable Mm -hmm. devoting time and resources to? What percentage of our grade do we feel comfortable Mm -hmm. making this project work? Ultimately, how is this going to benefit students? Because beauty and the ultimate downfall of English is that it relates to a whole lot of things. And so there's always going to be some way you can tie it to your curriculum, but it's ultimately what do you value as a teacher, but then ultimately as a department preparing your students for college and career. Yeah. And so I think it's important to really just know... When you do these workshops, these after school sessions, the occasional work days, one on one tutoring, it really lets you not waste class time on the Mm -hmm. kids who don't care and don't Mm -hmm. need it and really just provide help to those who need it. In all of these, uh, you want to make sure that you set really clear boundaries Mm -hmm. for how long you will provide feedback, how much feedback you will provide, because it can become a full time job all on its own, these kind of side projects. And and if you're doing more than your coworker down the hall, the kids will find out and then you'll (laughs) be doing the whole schools. (laughs) You do also want to talk with your administrator. This would be completely appropriate for you to go by yourself and say, I'm offering these sessions after school or offering this opportunity for students and see if there can be 
funding yes. <laughs> available to pay you for your time so that you're not doing this out of the goodness of your heart. Yeah. And knew. there often is, especially if you're at a Title I school, there's mm-hmm. a lot of money that goes untouched. Ask. It's always worth an ask. Yeah. I think lots of times English teachers make that sacrifice and don't get paid yeah. and just assume, oh, I'm just helping my students and our colleagues in math and science are like, I'm getting paid yeah. for this. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure that you're getting compensated for yeah. the services that you're providing. Absolutely. So if you'd like to hear more about personal statements and college application essays, whatever your student population calls them or the schools in your area call them, we talk about it in our YouTube video on the subject, which we'll include in the show notes down below a link to. Otherwise, we hope that you have heard something that resonated with you that makes you feel emboldened to do something in your classroom. If you have an idea that we did not discuss, you think we got it horribly wrong, (laughs) or you think, hey, you two, you didn't address this, please be sure to reach out to us. Let us know what it is. We'd love to chat with you about it. If you have heard enough on this topic and you have a different dilemma you would like to chat with us about or you'd like to hear us talk about, please email us at hello at threeheads.works. We would love to know what is important to you right now. As always, if you would like to be notified of our next upload, be sure to follow us or subscribe. Chat soon. Bye. Bye.